Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. It's definitely harder to market a luge athlete than it is to market a star NBA player, that's for sure. Mesdames et messieurs. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympics fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? I'm doing okay and I'm enjoying my sunshiny day. I know. Springtime is here. Finally. Get outside and do some fun stuff. Like gardening? Like Olympic sports. Oh, yeah. I got to clean my garden first. <laughs> there probably is a national gardening competition. And they're probably, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a gardening association that's trying to lobby to become an Olympic sport. Yeah, wheat, you know, speed weeding. <laughs> they can come and compete in my backyard anytime. <laughs> I will host a competition. Oh, I have to tell you, speaking of competitions, I watched a little bit of sport climbing on the Olympic channel this weekend, and I think I have found my new officiating job. Okay. This was bouldering, and after everybody got done with their run, there was a judge that came by with a broom and like wiped the chalk off the the boulders. Now, is that an official, or is that like the towel they, guy in no, basketball? No, it was a judge on the back of the <gasps> shirt. Judge. See, I just want to oversee the quiet room, like where they put them in seclusion. <laughs> right. What, and say quiet. It, it speaks to the librarian in you, right? I think so. <laughs> And the, and the parent, <laughs> excuse me, children, let's be quiet now. Let the other boys go up the bouldering wall. You know, so. I hear you talking. I hear you sharing information. <laughs> we have a fun guest this week. Our guest is sports agent Jesse Lichtenberg, CEO of JL Management, a sports marketing and athletic representation agency. She represents Olympic loser Aaron Hamlin, skeleton slider John Daly, and several bobsledders, including Jamie Grupoposer and Steve Langton. She talked with us about what it takes to be an agent in this world and get exposure for the best athletes whom no one's ever heard about. Take a listen. Okay, so I went to Syracuse, I majored in kinesiology and applied physiology. And I was able to get my way into 
a marketing, sports marketing class and an advertising class. There, I'm sure you've heard of the Newhouse School of Communications. Newhouse is not big on letting anybody who's not a Newhouse student into any of their classes. And this is probably why I negotiate for a living now. I tried to you know, get into a class, they said no. They said no about five times. And I kept thinking, all right, this is not, I need to take this class because I have other interests. And the way college and university, the way our system is set up now, if you don't take your specific major classes, you're penalized, right? If you can even get into other classes, and that's at every school. You have a track, you have to stick to that. And if you don't take just those classes, you have very little options. If you don't take just you know, those classes, you're not gonna graduate on time. So I basically paraded the dean's office and I said, you know, you're all about producing the most well-rounded, prepared students into society as graduates of Syracuse University, but we can't be the most prepared and well-rounded if you're not allowing students to take things that they're interested in. And I just, I don't know, after a couple of weeks, the dean finally said, all right, Jesse, what can we do for you? I said, great, here's what I want. So uh, I got into one class in there and one class in, uh, there were two sports marketing classes available in the School of Management, which is not Newhouse. Um, but the Falk School of Sports Business was not there yet. There was no sports marketing or sports management major yet. None of that. There were two classes. So I got to take both of those and an advertising class. And I've always been super creative and I love the creative side. So essentially I was able to put my, you know, my creativity and you know, ingenuity and business acumen and love for sports all together. And when I graduated, I thought I really wanted to go more into the ad agency creative side. So I had a couple of interviews, a couple of job offers, and the last place that I interviewed. I walked in and my, what would eventually become my boss was wearing the same thing I was in a different color. And we sat down and she said, we really don't do you know, traditional sports anymore. What do you know about gymnastics? And said, I was a, I was a gymnast you know, most of my life. Cause at the time she represented Sean Johnson, Shannon Miller, Chelsea Memel, Paul and Morgan Hom, Blaine Wilson. She's basically been representing top, top, top gymnast since I think 1992. And she said, well, what about soccer? Cause she had previously represented Mia Hamm. I said, I played soccer my whole life. Then she wanted to see how I thought. So she threw me at a curveball, something with ice cream. And I said, I'm an ice cream expert. I can do this. So she hired me on the spot and I was there for seven and a half years and it was an incredible whirlwind and I, I love it. And then I went to the NBA agency with my Olympians and now I'm on my, at my own agency and I absolutely love it. What goes into representation and like, when is an athlete ready for representation? How, how do they get an agent? It's completely different for every single sport and every single individual. Going back to gymnastics for a second, gymnastics is a very, very fickle sport and it changes constantly, but you're typically dealing with very, very, very young. They're kids. They are kids, truly. And in a sport like that, the majority of them truly are better off taking a college scholarship. No question. The majority of them will make more money. Will will make less money as so-called professional athletes than it would be worth to give up a scholarship. But it's about picking the right ones. It's about the right timing, the right match, the right you know relationship with the athlete, with the family. Because remember, when they're that young, they can't do anything on their own. They're not allowed to sign anything. They really can't make their own decisions. And you become a pseudo parent without question. And it's a lot of literal and, you know, literal handholding in crowded places. It's very, very different. And there are certain, there were certainly times where athletes would reach out to us and we said, you know, maybe this isn't the best idea and you certainly can't make the decision for them, but, you know, maybe we would encourage them to stay on the college track and see what happens. 
And that's not to say that they can't take a scholarship for a year or two. And it's, it's also a matter of when the Olympic years for them line up with their, you know, collegiate years and what those would be. Or they can put off college, whatever, whatever you know, works for them. In other sports, like, you know, luge or bobsled or skeleton, for example, you know, bobsled's not an intramural sport yet. It's definitely not a varsity sport <laughs> in the NCAA world. So that was, that was a non-issue. You know, sports, you know, like hockey, you have to consider those athletes are typically a little bit older. It's very, very unusual on the Olympic side, at least. It's very unusual for anybody to sign an agent before college. There's just no need to. There's no need to do that at 16, 17 years old. And getting an education is is paramount because you, I've always said you cannot be an athlete forever, but an education is forever. Education is the key to the rest of your life, no matter what. So just, is that issue with the college scholarships because of NCAA rules? Yes. Okay. They cannot, anybody who is still keeping their eligibility cannot sign with an agent. Um, an agent cannot even buy them coffee, nothing. You can't, if they're going to a meeting, they can't, they can't pay for a taxi. They can't, nothing. Absolutely not, not for a parent. And it's not the kind of thing you want to, you want to mess with. I mean, from my perspective and other agents can do whatever they want in the Olympic or in the professional sports world and Everyone's heard different stories, but as far as I'm concerned, I pride myself on doing things the right way every single time. I would never want to be the cause of somebody losing an athletic scholarship and potentially losing an opportunity at an education because I thought nobody would find out something. Does the IOC have limits on having an agent? No. And you know what? I should, I mean, as far as I know, the IOC does not, other countries IOC doesn't. Other countries may have different limitations. The USOC here is, you know, they try and help the athletes as much as possible. But when I first met Aaron, I was 23 years old and everyone was kind of saying, all right, Jesse, you know, Luge, why are you, why are you wasting your time? You know, it's, you tried. I kept saying, no, there's something really, really special about Aaron. Aaron is from a town in upstate New York that has a population smaller than my high school by a lot. And her family and her entire town and community and basically all of upstate and central New York rallies around her. Like you wouldn't even, you cannot possibly imagine when I say, I mean, everything from the spaghetti dinners up, you know, in the very, very beginning to just, I'm not even talking about the Olympics, a world's cup in Lake Placid. They come up by the busloads, hundreds of people by the busloads. It could be negative 16 degrees. And I'm not exaggerating. It's, it's been negative 16 when I was up there more than once with all the bells and whistles. I literally mean cowbells and whistles. Um, shirts off, faces painted, hair sprayed, bodies painted, and they tailgate truly like a Michigan-Ohio State football game. It's the greatest thing you've ever seen. And they are the warmest, most loving. They have adopted me as one of their own, without question. I call Aaron's grandparents, you know, grandma and grandpa, because it would be weird to call them less than Penny. They're just incredible people. And they, you know, they took me in as, I was 23 years old, and they completely, they took me in. And we grew a lot together. And, you know, years and years later, this was before the Sochi Olympics. It was probably 2012-ish. Aaron said to me, hey, my friend Steve Langton, he's a bobsledder. He was in the 2010 Olympics. He's an incredible, incredible athlete. He's thinking about signing with one of the major agencies, but he's not you know, totally comfortable. Would you mind just talking to him? I said, sure. And it never occurred to me. Like My goal was to talk to him and kind of guide him. That was supposed to be the conversation. And by the end of that conversation, I decided it was a good idea to sign him. And then I remember getting in the elevator that day and my old boss saying to me, Jesse, are you sure you can handle this? Because you still have all these other athletes that you know were part of the company. I just nodded. I just nodded my head and we got down and I slept on it. And I was thinking to myself, okay, can I, can I handle this all? Because I was still you know, relatively young. 
can I handle this all? And I slept on it and I woke up the next morning and my roommate said I was very, very quiet. I wake up a happy camper. I don't know why. I'm a terrible sleeper. Three, four hours, I wake up, I'm happy, whatever. And my roommate said that she thought I was sick that day because I was just very, very quiet. And I got to work and I marched into my old boss's office and I said, yeah. She said, yes, what? I said, yes, I can handle it. She said, handle what? I said, remember what you said to me last night getting into the elevator and you scared me? She goes, oh yeah, I had a feeling. I'm like, great. And she said, you know what, Jesse? I knew you could but I needed to make sure that you knew you could. Great. So months later, and then there was Steve Langton. I had Lusion Bobsled. I'm going, oh my God, what am I going to do with Lusion Bobsled? What is wrong with me? Then a few months later, there was, we were at the NBC Media Summit, and I kept hearing about Steve's roommate, this kid, John Daly, who did Skeleton. Honestly, wasn't 100% sure what Skeleton was. But then again, let's be honest, most people aren't, although I spent the greater part of the last, I don't know, six years trying to educate people on it and you know, share with people how amazing it is. And he, everyone kept saying, he's just this hilarious kid. They have a really unique dynamic. They totally play off of each other. And John Daly was the skinny redheaded kid from Long Island. So, I mean, that's me in a nutshell. So, okay, I couldn't, I couldn't say no to that. And I remember, you know, them saying, you really have to sign him. He's an amazing athlete. He was in the 2010 Olympics. You'll love him. And I remember getting on the phone with him. He had me laughing so hard within the first two minutes. I was just dying. And by the time I was done with that, I think we ended up talking for like two hours. By the time I was done with that, I then had luge bobsled and skeleton. And then I remember thinking, okay, I might've made a big mistake because it's not just about how much you love these people as humans and how much you want to help them. It's also, I mean, it's, it's a business and it's, can I do that for them? But also, you know, can I do that for me? Can I do that for the company? It's, it's a, you know, it's a business that you have to build and the business has to be able to make money. All right. Luge bobsled skeleton. Great. And then towards the end of 2013, a couple of people had reached out to me about another bobsledder whose name is Jamie Grubel, now Jamie Grubel Poser. Jamie is a laser-focused, fierce, intense competitor. But off the ice and outside of the gym, Jamie is one of the sweetest, warmest, snuggliest, most gentle people you'll ever meet. So all of a sudden, I had luge bobsled and skeleton, and I was knee-deep. I was knee deep in luge bobsled skeleton. And if you had asked me a decade ago, if I ever wanted to be there, I'd say, are you out of your mind? Absolutely not. And now I wouldn't trade them for anything in the world. And I didn't, I went to an NBA agency that paid me, I mean, put it this way, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And I, I literally wouldn't trade them for Clay Thompson and Zach Levine. I just, I wouldn't, that was, that was more important to me. And you have to, it's definitely harder to market a luge athlete than it is to market a star NBA player, that's for sure. But you have to fall in love with what you're doing. You have to be so passionate about it. You have to fall in love with the people that you're working your butt off for. You have to remember why you're doing it. Everyone is different. They all have different aspects to them, different marketable pieces to them that you really try and highlight and accentuate. And they all have such incredible stories and backgrounds and unique qualities that you want to share with the world. And I've always said that people can't fall in love with something that they don't know exists. They don't know how to access, they don't know how to get involved, they don't know how to watch, they don't know how to meet and see and understand the athlete of the sport. You know, in smaller sports like luge, bobsled, skeleton, that's definitely harder to do than it is in a sport like hockey or gymnastics or basketball, because that's you know, a lot more tangible. But I've never once, not in the 12 years I've been doing this, not once, have I ever introduced 
anybody, whether it's an executive or somebody I meet at the nail place who I somehow convinced to fall in love with sliding sports. And believe me, I've, I've had those conversations with, with random people. Not once has have we, I ever walked away without them saying, wow, that's amazing. Or, oh my God, how did I not know that we were missing this in our lives in the first place? Every single person, absolutely everyone falls in love falls in love with the sports because it's, you know, bobsled is nasty. It's, it's formula one on ice. You are going 80 to 90 miles an hour down a sheet of concrete ice with five G's of pressure, you know, against your body. Same with, you know, Bob with illusion skeleton. And they are just incredible, incredible athletes. People just don't get to see it as often. So they don't know that they can fall in love with it. But once they see it, once they meet those athletes, they go, Whoa, these are amazing people. What can we do to help? Um, within the last few weeks, I just signed a new athlete. His name's Jack Wallace. He's a Paralympic hockey player, a gold medalist in the Pyeongchang Games from New Jersey, really bright kid, biomedical engineering major, just a great, smart, well-spoken, warm guy who's an incredible athlete. Now, he's one of the best athletes in the world, and people just don't don't know it yet. And it's going to be a lot of building, like I did with you know, the sports of luge bob sudden skeleton and with the athletes in luge bob sudden skeleton and building new relationships i mean and i've made a lot of incredible incredible relationships i work very closely with both usa bob sudden skeleton and with usa luge gordy share at usa luge i've been working very closely with since the day i met aaron when nobody had ever marketed luge athletes before it wasn't it wasn't a thing and I work very closely with U.S. Bobsled and Skeleton with Amanda Bird, who's the director of marketing and communications, who she's one of my favorite human beings. I'm so lucky to have her, not just as a colleague, but also as a friend and somebody who gets why your life is an emotional roller coaster. And to have somebody smart and strong like that, especially as a woman as well, it's just you make you make great relationships. You know who you need to team up with to do your job, to help them do their job and to help the athletes and to to grow the athletes and to grow the sports because if you're not growing the sport the athletes aren't growing either and vice versa and that's what it comes down to and i'm excited to do the same thing same thing with jack so jack reached out to, i actually take it back one of my professors at columbia i went to graduate school for business and sports management at columbia and now i joe favorito who is very well known in the sports industry he's a journalist and does a lot of pr he's just a great great guy he was one of my teachers at columbia and one of my other professors at Columbia is Michael Newman, who's at Scout Sports and Entertainment. And I ran into him at an event at the end of last year at Columbia. And he said to me, hey, you know, I've been meaning to reach out to you. My friend who was a big person in the business for a long time, her son's best friend since they were babies is a gold medalist in sled hockey. He's looking for an agent. He's had a couple of meetings. I think you guys would be a really, really great fit. Are you interested? I'm not sure, but yeah, it can't hurt to, I was starting to get my business off the ground. I was like, no, it can't, it can't hurt. So I met him and I was so much more impressed with him than I thought I was going to be. I was so much more excited when I walked out of that meeting than when I walked into it. It's like, great. I know he has a couple of meetings left, but I'd be really happy to work with him. I'd be very, very excited about that. It was a day or two at the most later. He said, hey, I'd really love to work with you. I think we'd be a great match. Would you consider being my agent? Absolutely, welcome to the family. And that's the truth. My athletes and I are a family. You have to become a family to work that hard and to care that hard. You know, good, bad, ugly, and everything in between. There, it's all pretty incredible. So now Jack is 
you know, all my sliders are in their 30s. And, you know, especially Aaron and I, we were 22 and 23 when we met. So we kind of grew up together. And you have, I have a very unique relationship with them um, for a number of reasons. The fact that they're all friends and all basically lived in the same place. And the fact that we're all, you know, roughly the same age within a year, you know, within a couple of years of each other. I have a very unique relationship with them. And I'm very, very, very lucky. And Jack is a 19-year-old boy. <laughs> he's very mature, but he's a 19-year-old boy. I'm so excited to help him get to where he wants to go. And he invited me down to see one of their tournaments a couple of weeks ago in Charlotte. And I went down there and I'm sitting in a cold ice rink and all I'm thinking is, how could I possibly say that I'm even remotely cold? Because I've been in Lake Placid and I've been in Korea and I've been in Park City watching all of these bobsled and luge skeleton races and it's been negative 20. Those, those are the times when it's negative 20 and the wind is blowing and it's snowing and you think, most of the time, I always say, I'm so lucky. I love what I do. And then you're in those situations, you think, man, they're lucky I love them. Like, they should be saying that to me today. And I'm sitting in this ice rink watching Jack, and they are incredible, incredible athletes. It is, if you like the sport of hockey, you are going to love this. The only difference, they have all the same rules. The only difference between stand-up hockey and sled hockey is that they have two sticks while they're sitting in a sled, and it is two sticks but they also, they're smaller sticks, but they use their hands to propel instead of skate around the ice. So it's probably even harder. They are fast, they are fierce. And in stand-up hockey, when players check each other into the boards, they're really hitting plexiglass and plexiglass moves. But when sled hockey players, you know, slam each other into the boards, and they do just as hard, they're hitting the concrete part and the concrete doesn't move. So they have to be extra big and strong. And I took one of my old coworkers who I'm still very close with and her two seven-year-old little girls. And I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't 100% sure how they were going to react. They're very young and all the athletes are either in wheelchairs or crutches or have you know, one prosthetic leg or two or none. And most people, whether they're children or not, have never been in a situation like that. And the girls asked a couple of questions and they were good questions and they were so excited and they were cheering, they're like, yes. And when the teams came off the ice in between periods, they get, you know, they come out of their sleds and they either hop into a wheelchair or crutches or put their prosthetic leg on. The girls just stood there and they were staring, not because they were afraid, because they were like, wow, this is so cool. And that was the moment I was like, yeah, I just, I made the right decision. This is, this is amazing. And we took Jack out for dinner that night and the girls had all these questions for Jack. And then, you know, they're little girls, they got shy and he kept saying, come on, I know you have questions. And they you know, it curled up a little bit. He said, all right, well, let me tell you. And it takes a lot of initiative for an athlete, let alone a 19-year-old, say, all right, I can tell they're a little shy. Let me tell them. Let me get them interested and they'll warm up. He said, well, this is how I got into it. Um, this is how we play and this and that. And by the time we left his second game the next day, one of the girls said to me, Jesse, when can we see Jack again? When does he come back? Can we go to another game? And they were just so enthralled because these are doesn't make a difference if you're, you know, black, white, purple, or green, if you're playing, you know, if one leg, two legs, no legs, whatever it is, they are incredible athletes. And that's what's so much fun about watching sport. It really is. They are, you don't think anything otherwise. And it's just, again, people don't, people can't fall in love with something that they don't know about, that they don't know exists. And my goal is to make sure people get to know this. They get to know the sport. They get to know the athletes. They're the most incredible athletes in the world. They're Olympic gold medalists, Paralympic gold medalists. You don't, it doesn't get any better than that. They are gold medalists. They are the best of the best in the world. And, you know, I wish they had more games that were televised. And hopefully down the road, there's something I can, you know, help to do about that. But they are no less deserving than 
anybody else. So this guy is, he's a sophomore in college, biomedical engineering major, and he's heading to world championships in two weeks in Czech Republic. It takes a lot. So professional athletes where they're not in school at the same time, their, their basic focus is their sport period, and they're getting a ton of money to do it. Olympic and Paralympic athletes do this because they love their sport and they are so passionate and they are so driven and, you know, to succeed and to represent their country at the highest level more so than anything else in the world. And they're willing to sacrifice and give up anything and everything it takes to get there. And, you know, financially, emotionally, socially, every everything you can think of from normal relationships to holidays, celebrations, opportunities, jobs, money, you know, there are certainly, you've heard of them all, stories of athletes sleeping in cars, working three jobs, they push through everything. Injuries are, you know, sometimes there are professional athletes. They get a hangnail, they're out for a week. These guys, you know, they, you know, Olympians, Paralympians, they play with broken body parts taped together so that they can win and they can support their team and they can be a part of something. They are a part of something bigger than themselves. And the fact that I get to be a part of that and part of making their lives or trying to make their lives a little bit better, that's why I fell so hard and love what I do. Now that you've brought Jack on board, like what is what are the steps you do you try to get like press mentions for him and hopefully that attracts a sponsor or do you do both Absolutely. simultaneously or Absolutely. How? And the first thing with Jack is we need to start building out his social media. In the beginning, I had more followers than Jack and it was just because nobody had been there. Nobody was teaching him. He didn't have an agent. You know, the team didn't have anyone teaching all these athletes what to do, how to do it, what kind of content, anything like that. So we're building that with Jack. And the more you know that builds, the more publicity he'll get, the more publicity he gets, the more opportunities will be generated and you know, and so on and so forth. And it it, it goes back and forth. It goes both ways, of course. The first thing I get I do when I have any athlete, I have to get to know them. I have to know the ins and the outs, the good, bad, ugly, the how they tick, how they work, everything that's in their cabinet, what they eat, what they don't eat. With my sliders, who I've known for years, I know I could pick out three meals, snacks outfits in the right size, style, color for each of them in a heartbeat. I know what makes them tick. I know that look on their faces when they've had enough. I know what I need to pull out peanut M&Ms out of my back pocket and start throwing them at someone at a photo shoot just because they need that last smile. My rule of thumb is an agent, you always need to have a Sharpie, you always need to have an extra battery for your phone, and you always need to have a snack because hungry athletes is not a good thing, put it that way. I mean, especially well, like there's center. a marketing angle. It's it, But it's it's not even... I mean, truly, tools of the trade, Sharpies, peanut M&Ms. One time I pulled a GIF to-go snack pack out of my back pocket. I think I became Steve Lankin's hero that day. And they're in sports where they're so big, and they need to keep that weight and that muscle on. So they're constantly, constantly eating. But it's knowing what they want. It's knowing how they respond. And part of being a good agent is knowing what each client needs to be their best, whether it's you know a pat on the back, a hug, or sometimes they really need a kick in the butt. And you just have to know how they thrive and how to get through to them. And sometimes it's tough love. And sometimes it's if you you know, start getting more aggressive with them because you think you're going to push them in the right direction, they'll retreat. Of course, that's, you know, that's not what you want. It's like dealing with anyone. It's like having a whole bunch of kids. Each kid thrives differently. They you have to handle different things with them differently. Um, they all have different interests. They all have different needs. Um, so when I look at them, I say, okay, what's unique about each athlete? You know, it's, there's no cookie cutter way to market athletes. Everyone is different. And if you are doing a plug and play, you're doing it wrong. What I'm really good at is taking all the different pieces of a puzzle, sometimes pieces that you didn't even know existed and figuring out how to put them all together. And sometimes it means taking pieces of a puzzle from two different boxes of puzzles and making them work and moving things around. And there's no one answer. And there's always moving parts, always, always, always 15 moving things at the same time. 
and you have to juggle them all because if you drop one, they all drop and that, that won't work. You take care of a lot. You are always thinking of somebody else before yourself. My athletes are the first thing I think about when I wake up. They're the last thing I think about before I go to sleep. They are the things that, and the people that wake me up in the middle of the night, whether I wake up thinking about something or one of them calls in the middle of the night because so often they're on the other side of the world. Sometimes they call to say, hi, can we, everything okay? Yeah, sure, what's up? It's four o'clock in the morning. What do you mean, what's up? What do you think I'm doing? Can we, can we wait till around 8 a.m.? Sure, sure, I, di I didn't know you were sleeping. It's four o'clock, what did you think I was doing? I wouldn't have it any other way. I truly, truly wouldn't. I always say there are, there are no work hours for me. It is from when I wake up to when I go to sleep. Nine to five is, is, is completely irrelevant. There are times where you know, I'll be up till three, four o'clock in the morning still working or I'll have dinner and sit down on the couch and crash at 11 o'clock at night with a bowl of oatmeal that's been cold for the last few hours because you forgot you made it at eight o'clock because you thought you'd answer one more email. It is gut-wrenching. It is absolutely a gut-wrenching, sometimes often thankless job, but people don't realize how important it is to say thank you. Not just in a, when your mom says, what do you say kind of thing, but when somebody says thank you and they genuinely appreciate something that you've done, whether it's big or small, that means the world. That makes, that makes all the difference. And it's my job to help make their lives a little bit better because they deserve it. They really do. And it's not easy, even when athletes deserve every single opportunity you can't always, you can do everything under the sun, work incessantly 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and sometimes opportunities just don't come together. And it's unfortunate, but you can't stop trying. You can't let it discourage you, but it's your responsibility. You know, as an agent, you play a lot of roles. You wear many hats. You are, of course, their agent. You are a confidant. You know, sometimes you take on the role of a parent, of a role model, of a friend, a psychologist, a warden on occasion. Sometimes you have to know when to you know, went to pull on their leash and rein them back in, but it's it's a whole lot of things rolled into one. And I, I'm truly very lucky. I absolutely love what I do. It is incredibly hard work. It is a lot of sacrifice at all levels. And if I were doing it all over again, even looking at my athletes, when I, when I came home from the Olympics in Korea, um, it was really a very special, unique situation because they were athletes that I had had for so long. And at that time, they were all going to retire after that games. They'd all been to two, three, and four games. And most of them had Olympic medals. They had world championship medals. And it was, it was time. And when you spend so much of your life thinking about somebody else and protecting them and looking after them and working for them and doing everything for them before yourself, all of a sudden you sit back and you go, whoa, my life's about to change drastically. And they're still my clients. Don't get me wrong. We're still doing deals. We're still doing a whole bunch of different things. And I still handle, you know, a lot for them, but it's not, they don't need the same kind of day-to-day, -day, you know, management, so to speak anymore. And that's okay. It was a very, very unique, it is a very unique situation. And you sit there and you go, okay. So while everyone else in that sense, they all moved on to the next chapter in life, but I've been in that next chapter for the last 12 years. So it's, it's definitely, it's a new dynamic and it took a little bit of getting used to, it's like, wait, I don't, I don't have to check in and make sure that, you know, practice went well today. Not that I don't have to, it's, I don't check in to make sure practice went well or that you know, coach got them something or that they went to sports med or do you need more of this and whatnot. It's, it's a different dynamic, but that's how everybody grows. That's how, you know, that's how relationships, that's how relationships work. That's how business works. There are new cycles and I love them to death. I truly, I love them as athletes and human beings. I could not, I didn't truly didn't know I could be this proud of anyone, let alone a client.
And if I look back the last 10 years, I know exactly how I got there with them. And if I could do it all again, I would do it in a heartbeat. Absolutely. And now I get to do it with Jack, which is pretty cool. Thank you so much for explaining what you do. And it's really kind of a fascinating glimpse into a world that is very important to athletes who don't make a lot of money specifically. You know what? Maybe, maybe I should tell you, I should say something about mm-hmm. that aspect okay. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Olympic athlete. Yeah. So what makes the U.S. so unique when it comes to Olympic athletes and Olympic marketing, the United States is one of the only countries in the world that does not pay their Olympic athletes. These athletes give up anything and everything to compete at the most elite levels, and they need funding. They need funding to travel and train and compete and to be the best and for sportsmen and for equipment and for coaching and for travel. The idea of all these athletes that are enormous, they travel on cross, you know, transatlantic trips and they don't have enough money to pay for an extra legroom upgrade. They need that. They need that to represent you and I. So my job is to help them to gain exposure to that will lead to an increase in revenue for them to help them be able to travel and train and compete and be the best and represent you and I. But yes, the United States is one of the only countries that does not pay their Olympic athletes, whereas most of the other countries do. And it's certainly a competitive advantage for a lot of other countries. However, as we know, I mean, we're America, we're pretty strong at failing is just not in our DNA. So the United States is one of the strongest countries in the entire world across the board. Thank you so much, Jesse. You can find her company at jlmsports.com and follow her on Twitter at uh, Jesse Litt. And we'll have links to those in the show notes. She was a lot of fun. She was a lot of fun. And now I know that, you know, we've talked a lot about the people that we need to mm-hmm. make our, our podcast more successful. I need somebody to throw snacks at me. <laughs> Just throw some M&Ms at my head and, you know, then I'll get my boost and keep going. A little right. gif to go and I'll be, I know. I'll be ready. I know. I, I'd like the, I will do your ironing for you if I have to. I will feed you snacks. Whatever it takes. I know, exactly. And I mean, like, it's unsung work, too, because I'm sure it takes a lot of relationship building to make friends with the people who can give exposure to these athletes, who then will get enough exposure where sponsors will look at them and say, hey, you look like a viable marketing opportunity. When I was listening to her talk, so much of what she was talking about was being a parent. And I don't think she realized how much she parents her athletes. But the idea of, you know, you need snacks, you need a Sharpie, you need to have their schedule, you need to check on them. It is very much like being the parent of a teenager. So if you have teenagers, you too could be a sports agent. (laughs) Maybe your kids will give you 10% of their allowance. (laughs) You know, I, I plan to have my daughter support me in my old age, so I'm oh, sort of saving that up. Okay, that sounds good. It's like a little 10, retirement program. Exactly. You know, 10% as a lump sum payment when I'm 80. <laughs> okay, moving on to our Team Olympic Fever update. Oh, tofu. I have to give you the eye. You have to say it. So Dawn Harper Nelson, we said last week, was ready to pop, and she popped. She had a little baby girl whose name was Harper Renee Nelson, which I love. Isn't that beautiful? It is beautiful. Oh. She, was a, she was a tiny little nugget. She was only 4 pounds, 13 <gasps> ounces. Wow. But 
mom and baby are home and they're doing well and everybody's okay. And she, and needless to say, Dawn is over the moon. Oh, that's fantastic. Congratulations. So I was wrong. I thought it was going to be a boy. Remember we had yeah, that conversation. We did. But this, I have to say, I thought my own daughter was going to be a boy. So I'm pretty consistently wrong. Okay. Congratulations to the Nelson family. That is fantastic news. Uh, moving on to a little bittersweet news. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Sochi bobsled competition and the fact that the Russians were penalized for doping. They lost all their appeals. Their medals have been stripped. And now the teams below them will be upgraded to medals. And what, what happens if you already had a medal, you have to return it to the IOC. Well, our Team Olympic Fever archivist, Terry Hedgepeth, posted up on LinkedIn that she is actually the one responsible for packing up Stephen Holcomb's 2014 medal for uh, the two-man and the four-man bobsled because uh, the Holcomb family had loaned them to the archives. So it was uh, really sad and bittersweet because he actually wore those and he's, of course, no longer with us. But she's also quite happy that he's been upgraded to silver for that performance. So that was really interesting, I thought. I hadn't really considered who has to be responsible for packing up the medals. And in this case, we have that connection. Right. When we talked to, in the episode that we did about doping, we talked about that the medals have to get returned and then you get your new ones. But this is a whole other layer to this because Steve Holcomb's gone. and But they are returning those medals. Yes, because, yeah. you know, there's a, a little part of me that might say, don't return the medals that he had. Right. Well, even if I, if I, if it was me, you, you kind of want to be like, this is the medal that was given to me. And it's the one I've been wearing and the one I had on in the ceremony. But, you know, it's still, it's still not yours at that point. Right. It belongs now to, in fact, the British team. Right. Who was upgraded to a bronze. So... That kind of got me a little bit. I got to say, that's a, that's that is bittersweet is definitely the right word for that. John Schuster, our Olympic curler, he has joined a service called Cameo. And Cameo is a play. Have you heard of this? I have not. I had not heard of this until uh, John posted about it. Cameo is a service where you can pay to have a celebrity record a like birthday message for somebody. That's awesome. Yes. So you can go out and like, it's amazing how many people are on this service so and, you pay a fee yes and, and i believe and give john some is, details yes and then john will record a little video for your loved one and john is 25 dollars. nice hmm. so instead of you know a musical card from the card store you can exactly. get john you schuster can, you can book a little video for, with john schuster will he sing does he like have limitations i don't know okay I don't know at all. That would be cool. John Schuster singing <laughs> happy birthday to you. Exactly. And there are a whole bunch of other Olympians on Cameo. So if you're into uh, a unique gift for somebody, you might want to check that out. Prices may vary. We'll move on to our Team Olympic Fever modern pentathlete, Samantha Ekterberg, who placed 28th in the latest modern pentathlon World Cup. Well, I watched some of it and Ben and I talked about this at great length. She did pretty poorly in the fencing portion her swimming was okay her riding was fine she got through the ride because remember last year at champ world champ she, she took did, that tumble yeah, yeah she the horse did not like her but in this world cup match 
She killed it in the laser run. For that specific event, she placed 11th. So when you're starting like at 33 and you move up to 28 because of your last event, it's like if you could, you know, just if the the other, you could get a little bit better in the other three events there, you could really be a super strong competitor. Let me just say, mm-hmm. how could the horse not like Sam- Samantha Achterberg? I know, right? How could anybody not <laughs> no, like Samantha Achterberg? Oh, what is wrong with that horse? And I got to tell you, she was wearing her army uniform on the horse, the army jacket, riding oh, jacket. Dress. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Beautiful. It, yeah. She looked sharp. She rode really well and, and just killed it in the laser run. But well, that's her favorite part. I know it's her favorite part, but got to do a little bit better in the fencing. And then finally... Congratulations once again to our team Olympic Fever shooter Kim Rohde on winning her 20th World Cup gold medal in her career. And she was at the ISSF Shooting World Cup in Al Alin, United Arab Emirates. That was very exciting. One of the things that we talked about with Kim Rohde was how expensive and and how much ammunition they used to practice. Mm Mm-hmm. She could just melt down her thousands of medals, <laughs> and she wouldn't even miss them. <laughs> She'd she have enough is, ammo for a year or more. I know. She is unbelievable. I mean, she is, talk about once-in-a-lifetime kind of athlete. Right. Yeah, she yeah. Is, you know, that once-in-a-generation in a kind of athlete in any sport. Yes. To just be so dominant and so normal. Right. Moving on to our Tokyo 2020 update. The schedule is out. This is the schedule of what's happening on what day and what time it will be taking place. So if you're planning for tickets, you know what to aim for in terms of buying sessions. So that is very exciting, except for the finals of many events, i.e. track and field. Swimming. Swimming and gymnastics, I, I would assume, all revolve around U.S. prime time. So that there are f- swimming finals that are first thing in the morning. Right. Which is going to be rough on those swimmers. It'll be rough. I don't know. Because usually if you have multiple events in a day, you have an early heat in the right. morning. And you, you are warmed you, up. You warm mm-hmm. up, you loosen up, you kind of get the nerves out, and then you're dealing with the finals later. And then to have a final first... And then do heats later. I think we'll play with you. I mean, they have a year to prep. Yeah, for this. I was just going to say. They kind of knew it was coming. Right. But it, still. Right. It's got to be hard. You have to transition. But yeah, they have they have over a year to work their way up to it and mentally prepare. And on the upside for us, we won't be watching finals at three o'clock in the morning. Right. So yes, now we have a year. Well, you'll be there. I won't be right. there. So I'll have a year now to sort of figure out what's running simultaneously and yeah. plan accordingly and maybe a sign. That's going to take If you a want an assignment to... for others, we will take a... That is going to take a whole year to figure out, I think. It is. Who's going to watch what when? And we don't even know the, the TV scheduling yet. We're just going with, you know, assuming we'll be live streaming stuff. Yeah, I assume that, that that's going to happen. But, you know, I was talking with one of the listeners on, uh, I was chatting with them this week about tickets because we keep thinking about how to travel there and trying to figure out will we keep trying to get somebody to talk to us to to talk about traveling to the olympics and traveling to japan and they said that 
it's kind of different all the time. But if you have events that you absolutely must go see, apply for the tickets through Coast Board, which is the ticket agency here. But then if you just want to kind of play it by ear, or you have stuff that probably won't be well attended or might be easier to get tickets, go there, buy them there. You could buy them off the street because people are always selling tickets. Um, hmm. They've traded pins for tickets, that kind of thing. So it just it happens to be with what do you want to see and what's important to you. Uh, or if you're a planner, you're going to want to plan a little bit better. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to plan just to watch in my own living room. Cause it's, I, I have to say, I'm a, you know, we, we did it for Pyeongchang. We kind of did it on the fly. We learned a lot into as to, you know, for our own planning in terms of what, you know, cause we were trying to do it strategically, but the summer is just so much bigger. Right. And so much more overwhelming and so many more team sports that have multiple rounds and games. Right. So when do you start getting invested into the competition yeah that kind of thing because it, it really is like especially i know on something like hockey or curling for the winter olympics we knew kind of what was going on in group play but not necessarily paying a lot of attention because you had sports with finals going on at the same times right when do you jump in because or do you just choose i'm gonna follow the soccer tournament i'm gonna follow the handball tournament. Right. And you're going to miss huge other chunks. Right. So we're going to have to make some choices. A, a team. Do we pick a country? Or, right. you know, what's going to happen is that fantasy team will be going on again. Remember the fantasy league that we yeah. participated in? So maybe we'll have that too if, if we've got people picking teams. Or we can, you know, like listeners, yeah. if you want to help out and help us follow some stuff, by golly, we'd right. be... Grateful I know we'd be so support. grateful. And I'm also curious just to how people watch the Summer Olympics in general. You know, do you just jump in and watch prime time? Do you say I'm gonna watch all swimming, all track and field, and kind of let the rest go? Or do you just say I'm gonna watch my favorite athletes? Or do you just Yeah, I wanna see what this sport is about, or I'm just tuning in to tune in. Or how much are you streaming? Because, boy, I can tell you, in Rio, I really started streaming a lot. And, of course, we streamed a ton for Pyeongchang just because it was nice to have stuff live or you got to see a whole event or you could watch it on your schedule. Right. So how can people get in touch with us, Jill, and tell us what oh, they're doing? They can email us at info at olimfever.com and they can give us a call at... 53070fever, or you can hit us up on Twitter. We're Olymp Fever, and Facebook, we're Olympic Fever Podcast. And we have a, a, an Olympic Fever Podcast group, so I think this is prime discussion for the group on how people are going about doing this. So, And we are on Instagram as well. Yes. With uh, Olymp Fever. Olymp Fever. I'm very excited. The schedule makes it feel more tangible. Also, in 2020 news, the Paralympics are getting their first video game. Very Which cool. I am very excited for that, too, because I think it shows a big step of progress. Um, they Parody. Are... Yes, exactly. And that game, it's called the Pegasus Dream Tour, and it's going to be developed by a new game developer called JP Games. Uh, they're hoping, uh, the uh, International Paralympic Committee is hoping that the game helps attract new fans and boost some interest in the Paralympic Games, which I think that's going to happen. I like that. 
Well, it's a whole, so. I mean, the Olympics have found such tremendous success with their video games. Yes. That why shouldn't the Paralympics right. have that going on? Right. Excellent. So the game will see players participate in a virtual Paralympic Games that takes place inside a fantasy metropolis known as Pegasus City, according to Inside the Games. You know, we have to start sandwiching this in between some other news because I don't like ending on a sad note. I know. In sad news, another notable Olympian has passed away, Yvette Williams, who was New Zealand's first female Olympic gold medalist, has died. And she won gold and the long jump at Helsinki in 1952. And she was 89 when she passed away. Big trailblazer for that country. Got any other news for this week? Don Harper Nelson had her baby. Isn't that exciting? And she's so cute. And that name, Harper Renee. Isn't that so nice? pretty? And it's beautiful. And they're all so beautiful. The whole Nelson crew, they're all beautiful. Well, on that happy note, we will call it a week. And thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you back here next week for more Olympic stories. It's kind of spring break time here in the U.S., so we're going to take a slight break and bring you some more lightning round uh, interviews. This is what we ask the the same questions of all of our guests and hear what they have to say about their favorite Olympic memories and memorabilia. And it's really exciting. So we'll have a few of those to bring you for next week. And then after that, we are going to have our book club meeting with Book Club Claire. And uh, we are reading The Second Mark, Courage, Corruption, and the Battle for Olympic Gold by Joy Goodwin, which is all about the 2002 figure skating judging scandal and how the new point system came about. So it's a, a good read and we are excited to talk with Claire about it. And we are looking forward to your input as well. So thank you so much for listening again. And until next time, keep the flame alive. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Olympfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Oh my God, how did I not know that we were missing this in our lives in the first place?